This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Our scripture this evening comes from Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 37. They went on and there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, ESPN, a major sports network in the U.S., uh, started a show this year called GOAT, G-O-A-T, Greatest of All Time. And the concept of the show is to go and display the lives and, you know, the, the accomplishments of all these greatest in each sports field. And the idea was um, pretty, you know, simple. It seemed harmless and innocent. But uh, as soon as they started, it was actually surrounded by a lot of kind of controversy and argument on the Internet. They came out with this poster. And on this poster, you would have... Um, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, um, Babe Ruth, all these sports legends and greats. But as soon as they released it, of course, on the internet, a storm arose. People were arguing, oh, how could you put this player in instead of that player? They were saying, like, oh, how could you leave this person out? Like, you guys don't even deserve to be called a, a sports news, you know, reporting, whatever. And, and, and people were just arguing and bickering about who's the greatest. And it just shows us how subjective this standard of greatness is. To everybody, it's individual. It's, it's different for everyone. And uh, what was more interesting was the comments, the, uh, the show, as it went on, they, they, during one of the episodes, they had a chart, and it compared Tom Brady, who is a NFL quarterback, a team sport. They have one season, one championship game. And comparing him to Serena Williams, who is an individual sport where they have several uh, tournaments and, you know, they're competing against hundreds of people to rank first. And as they were doing this, people's response to this is, how ridiculous is this? How can you even compare these two, these two greats? They're not even the same field. And, uh, yeah, lo- looking at these comments and people's responses to this idea of who's the greatest, it, it dawned on me that... Um, we all have a subjective view of what greatness is. And we all have a tendency to try to compare greatness. Uh, We see it happening in the show, and we actually see it in our own lives as well. We we might not be striving for championships and, you know, fame and stardom, but we have our own standard and measure of greatness, don't we? Might not be championships, but it could be that next job promotion. It could be that career advancement. It could be reaching six figures in their bank account. We all have these standards and measurements of of greatness. And what we do with that is we compare with people. We judge people based on our standards. This person is 
better than me because they're greater than me based on this, or this person's not as great as me because whatever the reason might be. And if we continue to have these warped standards of judgment, we're just going to be in this constant cycle of comparing and changing our standards, and it, it just there'll be no end to it. But fortunately today, Jesus shows us what the true standard of judgment is. He's sitting here to the, and teaching the disciples that if you want to be great, you need to humble yourself. So in today's passage, we're going to first look at how Jesus tells us we need to humble ourselves. And the first thing we can learn is that we need to be humble before the word. Now Jesus, like I mentioned, is finishing his public ministry. He's now intimately and personally teaching the disciples and preparing them for the Christian walk, for what's about to happen at the cross and everything afterwards. And Jesus explains for the second time his death and resurrection. And uh, because they're just not getting it. Uh, and they're left afraid to ask anything, as we see in verse 32. And their lack of understanding is very apparent in what happens next. So look at with me with your, in your Bibles to verse 33 and 34. They're not understanding what Jesus says, and this is what happens afterwards. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So Jesus, it says that they're going through Capernaum. Jesus is leading his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. He is leading his disciples to his cross. And as he's leading them along the way, what are the disciples doing? They're arguing about who's greater. Imagine that. It's like a father who is given only a couple months left to live, and his kids are arguing about the estates, the inheritance, who was the favorite child, who was the most useless child. It's just so silly and ridiculous. But you see, as Jesus is walking and heading towards his death, the disciples are arguing about personal greatness. And we have to figure out, first of all, why they're arguing. What's going on in their minds? Because, yes, it's a terrible thing that they're doing this as Jesus is leading them. But we have to also understand that this is what they knew. This was a part of them. This is what the culture, the world, and even the religion was teaching them. The world obviously teaches rank and hierarchy. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You have to strive to be the best and top dog. But even Judaism at that time were giving these teachings, not godly teachings, but these religious teachings of rank and order in the society. They taught uh, people with higher rank would have closer seats or to the front in worship. People of higher rank would have better seats at the table. They had customs and ways of dealing with people who were superior to you and people who were inferior to you. So this, this, um, this desire for greatness was a part of them, is what they had been taught and what they were used to. So Jesus confronts their shortcoming, their fallenness, head on. In verse 33, he asks them what they were discussing, and we see that they keep silent. They can't respond to Jesus. I mean, why are they silent? Why couldn't they answer? Why couldn't they ask Jesus, hey, why don't you decide this for us? Is John better or is Peter better? They were silent before Jesus because they were filled with guilt and shame. They knew that their Messiah, their Savior, would not approve of this prideful bickering and arguing over greatness. But here's the beautiful part of what happens. 
If you look with me in verse 35, it says, and he sat down and called the 12. Well, how is this beautiful, right? It's such a simple sentence. But if we look at these words, Jesus is sitting down. Now, this is signifying that Jesus is taking the position of a teacher. Right now, in our society, teachers stand up and teach to the class. But back then, in their society, the rabbi would sit down and teach his disciples. And he called the 12, just the 12. I mentioned this before. It wasn't a public ministry anymore, but it was a private ministry. It was a ministry just to the disciples, to encourage them and to prepare them. So even though they are not understanding what Jesus is saying to them, even though they are in spiritual blindness, and even though they are arguing with pride and arrogance amongst each other, Jesus does not give up on them. He calls them to him, and he sits down, and he says, listen up, I got something really important to tell you. And he gives them their lesson. He takes time to personally instruct them, even though they struggle with his words. You know, before COVID, there was an out-of-control medical problem in the States. Um, and it affected a staggering number of people, and it cost a staggering amount of money. And these stats are from about 2017. So I don't know if this is the case still, and obviously we have COVID, a much more serious issue to deal with. But uh, this medical issue estimated to cause about 125,000 deaths a year and at least 10% of hospitalization cases. as one in 10 people who went to the hospital because of this condition. And they estimated about 100 to $289 billion a year to the costs of the medical field and industry. I'm not sure if you guys heard this condition, but it's called not taking your medicine as the doctor prescribes. That's right. It's not a, it's not a virus, it's not a pathogen, it's not some serious thing but it's just that people were not listening to their doctors. And people were being hospitalized and people were dying because of this. Uh, some of the statistics read like this, like 20 to 30% of medic med medicine prescriptions are never filled. 50% of people who have chronic diseases do not take their medicine as needed. One in third of kidney transplants don't take their blood pressure medicine. 41% of heart, heart attack patients don't take their blood pressure medications. I mean, this kind of, we look at it and it's kind of ridiculous, right? But if, and a lot of these people, uh, if you look at their excuses, some, okay, so some people have legitimate reasons, right, that they can't take it, like maybe financial or whatever the case. But this made up a very, very small percentage of the, that group. Most of the time, people were just neglecting it and it intentionally and deliberately not taking their medication. Some of the interviews went like uh, one of the parents of a child with asthma is quoted as saying, I don't like the idea of keeping my kids on medication indefinitely. Man with failing kidneys, he says, oh, I'm old-fashioned. I don't take medicine for nothing. And a common response amongst a lot of the people was just, I'm not a pill person. I mean, these people who were sick and dying, these doctors took the time to examine them, to uh, diagnose them, and prescribe medication to them. These doctors gave them instruction on how to help them, but these patients would just not follow their words. We see Jesus, uh, the road to the cross, the disciples are arguing amongst themselves. And we look at that and that's ridiculous, right? How could they? Their Savior is on the road to the cross. And you guys are just trying to figure out who the greatest is. 
But the reality is, we being on the other side of the cross, knowing what has happened, we're no different from the disciples. We still have issues of pride. We still have, we're very argumentative, we're divisive, and we struggle to be greatest, not according to Jesus' standards, but the world's standards. But do not be discouraged. Our Christ, our Jesus, does not give up on us. Even though we make a mess of things and we fall and we argue just like the disciples do, Jesus never gives up on us. And this is the encouraging message of the gospel. Jesus comes and accepts us as we are in our brokenness and fallenness, but he does not just leave us there. He speaks to us, he instructs us, and he teaches us to help us mature and grow, to become more like him. Church, I urge you to submit to his word. Humble yourself before his word. When you're at church, when you're listening to a sermon, when you hear the word of God, ask him to really open your ears. Take notes, jot down things that, you, that he speaks to your heart about, things that resonate with you. Things that he can fix your heart about. The sins that you may need to repent and turn away from. Write these things down. Remember how God speaks to you. Personally, it's always helped when I was able to look back and see how God has worked in my life, what he has spoke to me. Helps me to remember his promises. When you're at home alone and you're reading the word, pray through the passage. Pray that it wouldn't just be head knowledge to you, but that it would transform and work in your heart that it will shape your desires and conform you more and more to the image of Christ. Humble yourself before his word. And as Jesus um, continues on in today's passage, he teaches us that we need to be humble before the lowly. We need to consider others more important than ourselves. Let's look at verse 35 uh, in our passage today, and it reads, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So to rephrase, Jesus is saying this to his disciples. Okay, you want to be first? You want to be greatest? You want to be number one? Then you have to be last. You have to be a servant of all. Now again, to, to understand the context, the disciples when they thought of the Messiah, they thought of a Messiah coming and taking over, taking control, and right away, they would be at his right-hand side in power with them. So Jesus would come, he would reign, and the disciples would be number one, number two, number three, and they would have honor and, and glory, and people would serve them as being in these high positions. Knowing this, Jesus says to them, no, if you want to be greatest, you have to consider yourself last. If you want to be greatest, you can't expect people to serve you, but you need to humble yourself and serve others. Can you imagine disciples hearing this? This is a message that is totally counterculture and counterintuitive. It's rocking their world. And if you look at the passages and the teachings leading up to this, Jesus keeps teaching these, these kingdom principles that are so difficult to grasp. He teaches them, uh, as we've been looking in our series, that you need to take up your cross, that suffering precedes glory. He teaches them that if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. 
If you want to exercise the power and authority of Jesus, then you have to have a complete, utter reliance and dependency on him, trusting not in yourself. And today he's saying, if you want to be first, you have to be absolutely last. This goes counter to everything we hear in our culture today. This world will tell you that, you know, you should do what you feel, do everything you can to become number one at the expense of others. You know, what's the expression? YOLO, you only live once. You know, it's all about us. It's a self-centered society we live in. It's all about what we believe is truth, what makes us feel good, what gratifies us. But Jesus is saying, no. In my kingdom, you have to die to self. You have to lower yourself. You have to consider others better than yourself. And you have to rely on me and not your own strength. This is what greatness is. This is what brings greatness and glory in God's kingdom. And after this saying, he shows the disciples exactly how to do this. He shows them right in front of their eyes with an object lesson how to be last of all and how to be servant of all. Let's look in verse 36 and 37. And he took a child and put it in the midst of them, and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus brings out a child to teach them what it means to be servant of all. In our society now, we look upon children fondly. They're cute. They're adorable. Yes, they can be annoying and a handful at times. But generally, we see them as a future and we think of them positively. But during this time, during the era of the Bible, that was not the case. Children were seen as the lowest members of society. They were needy. They were dependent. They had no honor. They had no rights. They had no standing. And in fact, during those days, Little children, the mortality rate was so high that they would give very little significance to children until they reached a certain age where they're like, okay, this child is going to live and now, you know, there's a little bit more significance. So Jesus brings out the lowest of society right here in this intimate teaching moment where the teacher, the rabbi, and the students are. He brings the lowest member of society before them and he holds them in his arms. True attitude of humility is to be able to serve the lonely. Not just the people above you, not just your peers, not the people that are easy to love and well accepted by society, but true humility comes with the ability to serve the lowly. Um, I was reading about the adoption process in the States, and it's a, it's a very difficult, uh, long process. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of waiting, extensions, and sometimes it could take couples months to even years to adopt. And I remember reading this family about this one Christian couple who has adopted four children so far, and they're working to adopt their fifth. Now, you would think that, okay, adopting four children, it must have taken them such a long time to do this. And now they're about, and they're trying to get ready to do another. But in actuality, they were able to adopt each of their four children as fast as legally possible. As soon as they applied, they just did the paperwork, boom, 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 it came out, and they were able to adopt. And the reason for this is because they were adopting handicapped children. Their first son had um, um, 
Down syndrome, and the other three had uh, severe, like, physical birth defects. And the agency calls these children, it's a euphemism, as difficult-to-place children. That's just a good way of saying, a nice way of saying, that society deems these children than less than. They deem these children as lowly. And yes, it will take harder work. It might take more sacrifice, and it will be more difficult for the parents. But these parents knew that these children were fearfully and wonderfully made creations of God, and that they also needed the love and attention of parents, just as any other child. They knew that God has uh, commanded us to serve the low, lowly, the least among us in society. Now, who would have thought that these disciples, right, these lowly fishermen would be arguing and struggling for power and ranking themselves and expecting to be served? Most of us in our circles and our friends, we're not doing this, right? We're not going, oh, hey, Sally, yeah, she's number two. I'm number one. John's more five. Yeah, Eric is definitely the last in our group. No one really does this in our society. It sounds ridiculous. But... We don't deal with that problem, but we do deal with the problem of having difficulty serving others, and especially the lowly in our society. And why do we have trouble doing this? When Jesus commands us to be servant of all, what makes it so difficult for us to serve others? We seek our own comfort. And so when we're serving someone infringes on that comfort, we avoid it. We can be calculating we approach relationships. If this person has really nothing to, to add to me or benefit me, then we avoid that relationship. Some of us are prideful. If something's beneath us, if someone's beneath us, we don't give them time of day. Other times we can be selfish and we just, yeah, simply don't want to expend our time, our resources, and our energy into serving others. And other times we're just simply impatient. We run out of gas because we have enough problems of our own to deal with. But when I stick back in my life and think about why I fall short in serving people, it's usually one of these cases. It's usually something that's wrong with my heart. Of course, yes, there are people out there that are very difficult to serve. I know, you know, everyone has that one person in their mind. But Jesus calls us to be servant of all. So church, I urge you to think about what it is that holds you back for being the servant Jesus calls you to be. Perhaps it's with your spouse and it's with impatience. Then pray to God. Ask for patience. Ask him to teach you and show you what that's all about. Perhaps it's with coworkers at work or someone who works for you and your pride will not allow you to serve them. Ask God to humble you and show you what it means to be a genuine servant. And especially if there is someone in your life who is the least among us, the disenfranchised, the one that society looks down upon, the one people talk about under their breath, all the more we should be praying to God for compassion to be able to serve these people among us. And in today's passage, as we continue we'll also see that greatness comes from humbling ourselves before the cross. We're going to go backtrack to the beginning where our passage starts today. Today with Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection. And look with me in verse 
31. It reads, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. This is now the second time Jesus is telling his disciples that he needs to be killed and he will rise again from the dead. But this account is slightly different from the first account, the first time he foretells the disciples. Both of the times it records the Son of Man, both of the times it says that he will need to die, and both of the times it says that he will rise again from the dead. But this beginning part of verse 31 is unique to this foretelling. And it says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, why am I bringing this up? Why is this one sentence so significant? Why do we need to recognize it and look at it? Well, if we look at this statement, there's something unique about it that will teach us something very important about the cross and the plan of redemption God is uh, working here today. If, the, if we look at the statement, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, the verb here is to be delivered. And the object is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is going to be delivered into the, sons, son, uh, into the hands of men. But the one thing that's missing here is the subject. Who is doing the delivering of Jesus into the hands of men? And this actually occurs, this uh, this sentence structure occurs a lot in the New Testament, in the Gospels and the letters, and it's called a divine passive. It's when the subject is deliberately left out of the sentence, and what it is, it's implying that God is doing the action. So what this is telling us, what Jesus is foretelling us, is God is delivering the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, over to man. And why is this so important? Why is this critical to understand? Yes, the Judas and the Romans and, and the religious leaders all have a responsibility of play, a responsibility for what has happened to the Christ. But from eternity past, God the Father came up with this plan. He determined to save his people by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh, to die on the cross, and rise again from the dead. And from eternity past, Jesus, the Son of God, is in complete agreement with this plan. God is the one who is in control, who is working behind the scenes. And Jesus is in complete compliance and obedience to this plan, which means there's going to be much required of Jesus. He will need to humble himself. This foretelling of Jesus' uh, Jesus death and resurrection precedes all these teachings Jesus is about to give to the disciples to show his humility. His death and resurrection, Jesus' work, is the example of humility. And it's the reason why we can humble ourselves and serve others as well. I had a uh, friend who was in seminary, uh, or when I was in seminary, he was a friend, and we were going to seminary together at the time, and um, he, you know, the seminarian schedule in Korea is super hectic, you know, they, you know, they give tons of assignments, I'm sure it's the same in the States, but we have chapel every day, classes every day, from Tuesday to Friday, and as soon as you get out of class on Friday, you go home and go serve at your youth group Friday night or your children's ministry, and my particular friend was serving in the youth group, so he'd be studying all week, and while he's studying, he'd prepare for Friday night, 
You go to church as soon as he got home Friday night. Saturday would be spent preparing for Sunday, maybe hanging out with the kids. Sunday would be spent, you know, just going to church and serving and hanging out with the kids there. Monday would come around, and Monday's the day of rest for pastors and uh, seminarian students. But even on Monday, he'd be spending time catching up on his work. But the point is, he was just super busy, hectic schedule, and he was looking forward to the summer vacation. He was just waiting, counting the days, like during break. Um, he was into music, so he was like, I'm going to work on this music project. I'm trying to get this band together and do some recordings, take some trips with my friends. And he had all these things lined up for summer. But then God had a different plan. His grandmother fell uh, really ill. And because of the situation of their family at the time, uh, they were not able to afford to keep the mother in the hospital. Uh, it's, you know, for like two months. And they weren't able to afford a home care nurse. Unfortunately, she wasn't sick enough where they needed specialized care, but they need someone to look after 24-7. So this is what he was doing with this summer now. And at first, you know, it's his grandmother. He loves her. He wants to serve her. He wants to help her. He wants to see her get better. And he was doing this every day. He was either at home or at church. And then eventually, halfway through the summer, he tells us that um, there was a struggle in him. All of a sudden, like, those desires, those kind of selfish desires, not bad desires, but that the desire to please himself started to come up. He's like, man, you know, I could be doing this, I could be doing that. You know, I'm, you know, this is so difficult. I don't want to be here serving my grandmother. I want to be relaxing, hanging out with my friends. I want to be recording. And all of a sudden, he had a struggle with his flesh. His heart wanted to serve his grandmother, yes. But his flesh was telling him, no, you need to, you know, serve yourself. So he went to God, and he started praying. And it was at that moment, he was reminded of the cross. He looked at that cross and he saw the love and grace and forgiveness that was shown to him. And as at that moment, he just felt this restored sense of love and servitude towards his grandmother. And he was able to go about it, not out of duty now, but out of service and love. And that's what the cross does to us. The cross helps us to serve other people. Humbling ourselves before God's word, humbling ourselves before others, especially the lonely, these are very difficult things to do. These are things that we're going to struggle with every single day of our lives. And we cannot do it on our own strength. We can't do it on our own righteousness, no matter how well-to-do we think we are. We need the cross. And we need Jesus. We need a look to him, the one who gave everything up and humbled himself to save us. There's no pride at the cross. There's no comfort there. There's no selfishness. There's no impatience. There's no calculating going on. When Jesus came to go die on that cross for us, he left all the down. He left it all behind and he put it all down for us. And when he went up there, and when we see and realize this, when we taste the grace, the love, the mercy, and forgiveness, it changes us. We didn't deserve it, and yet he did it for us anyways. And out of that, we can't help but show the same love, mercy, patience, and servitude to the others around us. We look to Jesus and the cross as the greatest example of humility. 
Colossians 1, 16 to 17 speaks of Jesus like this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and him all things hold together. The creator of the universe, the one who is above the universe, the one who holds and sustains the universe, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, deserving of all glory, honor, and praise, puts aside his fame and he humbles himself to come down to us. He humbles himself to take on human flesh, the very nature of his own creation. And he doesn't stop there. He humbles himself to be born in a manger, not a fancy palace. And he keeps going. He humbles himself and he walks with the lowly, the sick, the broken, the sinner. And he eats with them. He teaches them. He loves them. He washes the feet of the disciples. He came to serve not to be served. And eventually he humbled himself to be rejected, despised, mocked, hated, beaten, and crucified. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and given him a name above every other name. In God's kingdom, greatness comes with humility. Greatness for Jesus came with humility, and so it is the same for us who follow after him. We humble ourselves now for the greatness and the glory that is to come. Let's pray, Gospel City. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.